Well, Miss Nicole, you ready, sweetheart? Let's welcome Nicole Cool. Amen. Yeah. Greg, you can't come up here, buddy. I'm sorry. You can't. No, I just get. Hello, hello. Woohoo! It's church. So I'm Nicole. Cool. And um, I have got an amazing privilege this morning of having my three moms with me. I'm going to ask Cindy and Hilda and Philly to please stand. So Felicity is my blood mom awesome, beautiful blood mom. Hilda is my mom in love, my awesome, beautiful mom in love. And Cindy is my spiritual mom. She's the one who I lived with. I lived with Doug and Cindy for about four years. You can sit down. Thank you. And we had plenty of teas and laughs and giggles, but um, I'm very privileged. So I heard that in order to have a good sermon, you got to have some jokes in the beginning. So Mother's Day jokes. Pee-wee, what did the digital clock say to its mother? Look, Ma, no hands. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Definition of a sweater. The thing you wear when your mother gets cold. <laughs> oh, man, if I had a penny for every time my mother, when I was small, put your sweater on. Mother to son, I'm warning you. If you fall out of that tree and break both your legs, don't come running to me. (laughs) And then last one. Why do mother kangaroos hate rainy days? Because the kids get to play inside. All right, as I'm sharing today, I am so expectant and I have such a clear vision of where I'm going. Holy Spirit has been very clear to me of the purpose of today and everything, but I need to set the premise. And the premise is that there's just no judgment here. And there's no judgment even as we're sharing and I'm kind of unpacking and unfolding some of the layers of your heart. Because this this morning is like you sitting across the table from the mother of God, from the heart of a mother. And while he is sitting there, he's talking to you and he's bringing understanding and revelation to you concerning why you even do some of the things you do. So there's going to be some stuff pertaining to your own parents, your mom specifically, But there's also going to be stuff pertaining to the way that you are with your children or that you are with people around you. And this is not for us to become critical of things that happen around us. This is more for an understanding. And at the end, I'm going to give everybody an opportunity to forgive and also to give God permission to come in and attach and allow for this attachment between us and the mother heart of God in areas that we could have previously been detached because of experiences with our own parents. But so today I'm talking about the mother heart of God and emotional stability is a big deal to God. Beloved, I desire that you prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. Now, some of you have heard messages about emotional health and you're like, okay, yeah, heard that, done that. So my question to you is, okay, big shot. How healthy are you? Do you have emotional health? Are you emotionally stable? Are you anchored in peace? Can situations hit you 
and you remain, you know, it, it might still, your heart might fluctuate, but, it's, but there's an emotional stability about you. And if there's not, then you haven't arrived. And then you need to hear some more messages on emotional stability so that you can allow the mirror of the word to be put up and say, wow, I need to remember who I am, right? Because you are who God says you are. And if you can't remember that, then there's something going on in here that stops you from, okay, I need to remind myself who I am. So, yeah, emotional stability is a big deal. So the whole, the whole word mother in itself is so pregnant. I mean, even from that beautiful video, you know, if you have a bad upbringing with a mom who was emotionally unstable, then your understanding and your heart will have a certain view of who mother is. Versus if you have a very nurturing, stable, you know, godly mom who, um, you know, meets you where you're at, connects with you, is tender, loving, then your perception of mom will be, you know, very, very good. Um, it's like this. The diamond is mom. The light is God's love. And when you hold the diamond up and you put the light underneath the diamond and you turn the diamond around and you have all the different refractions in the wall and all the, you know, the shapes and sizes, like to the level that mom allows herself to be cut and chiseled by love. When God and life shines through her, she will refract beauty and peace and honor and respect and value to the areas that she has broken edges and is sharp or just unattachable herself. We see the refractions around her. And growing up as a child, you grow up in a home and you are the automatic recipient of whatever refraction is in your home. Now, in God, you can see it from the pamphlet, in God there is both masculine and feminine because God cannot create something that he isn't on the inside. It's the same with us. When we birth children, you know, half the time I get mad because I'm like, you know, I had my three kids. Two boys came out just looking splitting like their daddy, and I'm like, God, please just give me one that looks like me, just one. And my little girl came out, and she looked just like her daddy. And it's like, I remember holding her thinking, you'd think I had nothing to do with this. You know, my mom even said, wow, Nicole, you have one mold, and it sticks to it. So fortunately, as the kids got a little bit older, you see some a little bit, now my one son looks like me. But, um, but inside of God, so he births what is internal. And just because we come from a bit of a, or we're, sa- we're surrounded by a gender-confused identity, let me make this very clear. When I talk about in God there is masculine and feminine, I'm saying masculine male, feminine female. Masculine man, feminine woman. Now, inside of woman there is both masculine and female traits. Inside of male and man, there's, there's, but predominant in the woman should be the feminine, and predominant in the man should be the masculine. And God created, on purpose, two genders. There's this term floating around, binary, which pretty much means, or non-binary, which pretty much means there's no gender assigned to you. You can pick and choose your gender. If God wanted that to happen, he would have made, he could have made 20,000 genders. He made two. He hasn't changed his mind. And let me, let me explain this to you is about the whole masculine-feminine thing is there is a function and a purpose for creation. And I'm going to show you here just um, scripture-wise, but just for example's sake, is God says a few times over and over and again, he comes to the people, his children, he goes, blessing, I bless you. Now multiply, fill the earth, subdue, and, you know, take over kind of thing. But the first thing he says is multiply, multiply, multiply. There's only two genders, right? And there's only those two genders that can multiply. 
the mandate, the original dominion mandate was for father to come in and bless his families because the government of heaven is family. You talk about Father God. You talk about the Holy Spirit being like the feminine part of God. She's known as the, he is known as the comforter. And it's like the one who stays close, the paraclete. And then Jesus is what? He's our heavenly, he's our brother. He's our, he's our sibling that will beat the dude up if they come too close to you. So they're, they're like, they're the, they're stable family. If you didn't have a stable family, you do. You have a stable family. You have Father, you have Holy Spirit, and you have Jesus. And just like Cindy said, huddle time. Anytime you want, there's huddle time. There's your stable family. You are smack dab in the middle of huddle time. All right. So this is how God raises families. This is his original design. Mom and dad love Jesus, love each other. And they have strong, this is the ideal godly family. They have strong relationships with with God. So they get their security from God. They get their sense of belonging from God. They are totally solid and emotionally stable. So the kids that come along, when they flail and have temper tantrums and have things which kids do, and they need some boundary setting, mom or dad, they don't get their identity from their children. Their children don't have to behave in public a certain way, although discipline is good, right? I spank my children. But it's like I don't, I don't feel good about my parenting because of how other people think about me and how I parent. I, I feel good about my parenting because if I don't have peace about what I've just done to my child, I'm going to go to him and I'm going to ask forgiveness. And I'm going to go back to Father and say, wow, teach me a higher way, right? We parent before the Lord. We don't parent before people. So let's just take that. Man-pleasing, man-fearing dog off our back. Okay. So, so God, he puts us into this. This is the ideal. He puts us into the stable family. Mom and dad love each other, love God. And so what they do for the kids is they pour out. They pour out. We are, we are feeling secure. We are at peace. We, are, um, we feel confident. And so we can give you that. And so the kids are able, they grow up, they see what their parents do. In other words, there's, a, there's an image of the Godhead at work in their homes. There is, there is um, there's literally attachment going on. In the physical realm, there's attachment, but in the, in the psychological, in the heart, in the emotional realm, there's the ability to attach, right? Until the child comes of age... And then the child, because of what he's seen with his own family, when God comes along and says, this is who I am, he's like, oh, yeah, I know about that because mom and dad were like that, right? This is the ideal. And so then they get, then God starts speaking to them about things that mom and dad has been telling them all along and showing them all along. So it just reinforces, God reinforces how you were raised. And then what happens, it's the, the multi-generational transfer. Then when you raise your children, you're like, man, I know what it's like to be raised in a home where there's comfort, there's um, solid, there's, there's stability, and my parents don't flail out when things get chaotic. Here is the good news. Doesn't matter what home you were raised in, or how, how bad your situation was, even the most amazing parents, the most well-meaning and self-sacrificing parents get it wrong sometimes. We all have that in us to be selfish and do something with our kids that is not the highest or best for their might. But God, but God, praise Jesus, but God. So many times I think I've messed my kids up, and then God is like, hey, there's one God, you're not it, my grace. You know, it's like, dude, just, again, take that thing, take that false thing off your head. So I want to give you an example of this. So Genesis 28, um, don't go there. Isaac calls Jacob and sends him out. So this is Isaac, the dad, calls Jacob and sends him out, and he blesses him, and he gives him instruction. 
who he's to marry, who he's not. So he's talking to him. He's explaining to him who God is. And um, on Mother's Day, I am hitting specifically on the name of God, one of his names, El Shaddai. El Shaddai is, and I'll get all important over here, and I'll tell you what the Hebrew word is, if I can find it in my notes. Maybe not. It was, yeah. It was seriously here. I did the whole, oh, it's all near the end. Anyway, so El Shaddai. And it comes from the meaning shed, which is the meaning breast. It, it, it literally means the many-breasted one. You don't think that God has feminine in him? The many-breasted one. The nourisher, the sustainer, and the source of all life. So, and here, when, when God comes to Abraham, when God, when, when, first of all, this is Isaac telling Jacob, Isaac's obviously heard from God himself, because he's telling Jacob what he's heard. It says, um, God Almighty, El Shaddai, bless you, make you fruitful, multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples, right? Then God comes to the same person. He goes to Jacob, and he says, God himself, this is Genesis 35, 11, God himself calls Jacob by a new name, so he changes his name, and he speaks the same blessing over him, the same blessing that his father spoke over him. He speaks over him, and he says, I am El Shaddai. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation, a company of nations shall come from you, and king shall come out of your loins. Then the third part of that development, remember how we spoke about God, you, you see it from your parents, God comes and then, then number th- Genesis 48, he tells his son, this is Jacob telling Joseph, God Almighty appear to me, this is him telling his son, appear to me and lose at the land of Canaan and bless me and said, I will make you fruitful and numerous, I will make many nations come out of you. Um, and I will give you this land as an eternal possession. So basically, he's telling him, I am going to make it happen for you. But for you to know that you can do what I've called you to do, you have to know me as El Shaddai. If you cannot connect to me as El Shaddai, you will not have the confidence the sustainability, the endurance, you won't know where your strength comes from. You might go out and do it by yourself for a bit, but you'll never be able to complete the job. You, won't, you might be a firecracker in the night, but you won't be able to sustain if you do not properly connect with me as El Shaddai. Thank you, all two of you. So, you know, we all come from generational lines, and Brett spoke amazingly on that. And just to make sure for those of you who haven't heard Brett, God doesn't put you into your generational lines for the negative. So many people are, but you don't know where I've come from. It doesn't matter. But I was abused, or I was neglected, or I was raped by my own father, or I was whatever. It doesn't matter. Because God's grace, God says, my grace is sufficient for you. And grace is not a one-size-fits-all package. If something happened to you as a child, then you're going to need a particular strand and strain and living flavor of grace that I'm not going to need. And grace enables us and empowers us to live a life that God called us to live. It empowers us to do what he's called us to do. So there, no matter what, if you grew up in a generational line that was bent and bound on anger and perversion, then there is the type and quality of grace for you that will be bent and bound to overcome perversion. 
If you grew up in a home that was bent and bound and insecurity and low self-worth and self-hatred and self-rejection, then guess what? There is a quality of grace that is available for you. And where is that quality of grace come from? Come before the throne of grace in your time of need. Do you know the Bible even speaks about let grace and truth be multiplied to you? You can ask for more grace. You can say, I need more grace. I, once I was like, God, can I ask for more grace? I know your grace is there, but can I ask for more? Because I seem to be needing a little bit more right now. And he was like, absolutely. And he showed me in the word, grace and truth be multiplied to you. And then also before you're in the throne of grace, it says, when do you come before the throne of grace? In your time of need. Whenever you need something. God is not afraid of your needs. Your needs are not too deep for God. Even if you need him 20 million times in one day, he's so unfazed. He he is not afraid. I'm just going to slide this in here. Have you ever seen a mom? I just, you can start giggling if you want to, but have you ever seen a mom who is breastfeeding that is engorged? Okay, I'm just going to get real here. Her boobs get so big and painful because the milk can't come out quick enough. And the only way she finds relief is when that baby pulls from her body. God is known as El Shaddai. There is a part of him that aches for you to pull what you need from him. But you won't go to him. You're too busy running to other people or you're too busy just running from him and think you've got to do it from yourself. That's a spirit of independence and it's not God. And I'm going to show you why some people are so bent on independent. Just I'm going to do it by myself. I do it by myself. You see these little toddlers, no, myself. You see 50-year-old men doing the same thing. No, myself. And God is sitting over there, engorged, going, come. I have everything you need. And I'm not, your need does not terrify me, make me angry with you, make me irritated with you. You're not supposed to be anywhere other than where you are. But God, I'm supposed to, I've known you, you're not supposed to be, I'm telling you now, you're not supposed to be anywhere other than where you are before him. Um, So I want to talk to you today, and this is a little bit not usual for church, glory. I mean, not this church is amazing, but most, I, I travel in the body of Christ. And I want to talk about the concept of attachment. And it's a childhood development strand. It's, it's like in psychology, if you go to school, I did not go to school for psychology, but they teach you about the different forms of attachment and when you are growing up in your home and what, how your parents raised you will determine how easily you're able to attach to each other, to God, to... Because as I was reading about this... Um, while back, I, it's so fascinating. It's it's amazing because I see it in hum, in adults. I, when I started learning about this, I was like, wow, that that started that re- person. As soon as they get into hot water, if they think they're in trouble with me or or their boss or whatever, man, they just run the other way. You know, they in other words, confrontation is hugely scary to them. And when you learn about attachment and the different ways, so I'm I'm you okay with this? Yeah. All right. So, there it goes on me. There it goes. All right. All right. So, this is, he's a doctor of psychology. His name's Dan Siegel. And so, attachment refers to the particular way in which you relate to other people. Your style of attachment was formed at a beginning, at the beginning of your life during your first two years. So, talk about subconscious mind, you know, conscious mind. Literally, during the first two years of your life, 
the way you will naturally or that you're taught to attach to others is formed within the first two years of your life. So once established, it is a style that stays with you and plays out today in how you relate in intimate relationships and how you parent your kids. Understanding your style of attachment is helpful because it offers insight into how you felt and developed in your childhood. It also clarifies ways that you can be emotionally limited as an adult and what needs to change to improve close relationships. Now remember, we're talking about but God, right? So in the presence of God, he, he uncovers and he exposes in our hearts and then we're like, God, I'm so thankful that you come in and you can just help me with all of this. Like there's nothing that's eternal except, like he says, the government you know, of God, the kingdom of God is ever increasing. So he's help, we go from health to health to health, right? All right, so young children need to develop a relationship with at least one primary caregiver in order for their social and emotional development to occur normally. And that primary caregiver needs to be um, the same one, and we're talking about the first two years, right? The same one for the first two years. Um, And during those first two years, how the parents or caregivers respond to their infants, particularly during times of stress, establishes the type of patterns of attachment that children form. So these patterns go on to guide the child's feelings, thoughts, and expectations in the future. All right. So there's four types of attachment. I'm just going to briefly go into them. First type is called secure attachment. So this is, this is the one that God is leading us towards, right? Because why? We want to be healthy. We want to be emotionally healthy. Um, so secure attachment, whose caregivers consistently respond to distress in a sensitive or loving way such as picking up the infant, reassuring the infant, feeling secure in their knowledge that they can freely express negative emotion, which will elicit comfort from the caregiver. They seek proximity, and they want to maintain contact with the caregiver until they feel safe. So the child knows exactly what to do with the responsive caregiver. They can approach the caregiver whenever they're distressed. Now think about this and how you handle God and how you deal with God and how you deal with your relationship with him when things go funny or when you're in distress. So you need comfort, you need advice, you need, but there's something that's, that's going, it's chaos, it's anxiety, there's something in you. Can you, do you know I can go straight to him and he's not frustrated with me, right? Then the second part is, it's, it's, they call it avoidant attachment. So there are adults who are emotionally unavailable, and as a result, they're insensitive and unaware of the needs of their children. They have little or no response when the child is hurting or distressed. These parents discourage crying and encourage independence. Often their children quickly develop into little adults who take care of themselves. These children pull away from needing anything or anyone else and are self-contained. They have formed an avoidant attachment with a misattuned parent. So the infants whose caregivers consistently respond to distress in insensitive or rejecting ways, such as ignoring, ridiculing, or becoming annoyed. They develop a strategy for dealing with distress and that they avoid their caregiver when distressed, and minimize displays of negative emotion in the presence of the caregiver. This child knows exactly what to do with the rejecting caregiver, avoid the caregiver in times of need. Now, I think there's, in many times, a good blend. I think a lot of us had some good parenting and then, and then some, like, bad parenting. And so I think there's a good blend in this. Then you have the ambivalent, ambivalent, uh, uh, is this helping you? Because it helped me a whole lot. Some adults are inconsistently attuned to their children. At times their responses are appropriate and nurturing, but other times they're intrusive or totally insensitive. Children with this kind of parenting are confused and insecure, not knowing what type of treatment to expect. They sometimes feel suspicious and distrustful of their parents, so they act clingy and desperate, but these children... Um, also have, because of their unpredictable parents, 
the infant whose caregivers respond in this way, expect the infant to worry about the caregiver's needs. So the mom is super tired, the infant's crying. Why won't you stop crying? You know, it's that kind of, it's that thing. So they display extreme, so the infant's distress, they respond to the infant's distress by being overwhelmed and they display, the parent displays extreme negative emotion to draw the attention of their, in, oh, so, wait, sorry. Basically, the child will then display extremely negative emotion. So it's the drama queen. It's the one who heightens everything. You know, the, the toe, you've got a scratch on your toe, your toe's falling off, but they're still doing it when they're 20 years old. The soccer players, can I just go there for a second? Who get a tap on the leg and fall over and want to play dead. It's like, dude, you need some attachment healing. So basically what the infant does is, and grows up doing is, they exaggerate displays of distress and angry resistant responses, hoping that the, that the elevated distress response won't be missed by the caregiver. All right, and now the last one is the disorganized attachment. And it's basically when the parent or caregiver is abusive to the child. The child experiences the physical and emotional cruelty and frightening behavior, this is many times with mental instability, frightening behavior or drugs, um, you know, as being life-threatening. The child is caught in a terrible dilemma. The sur her survival instincts are telling her to flee to safety, but safety is the very person terrifying her. The attachment figure is the source of the child's distress. In these situations, children typically dissociate from themselves. They detach from what's happening and what they're experiencing and they try and even block from their consciousness. If God is El Shaddai and he is the perfect image of a stable family, right? And that picture of the nourishing, the soothing. Um, the, the, in order for a child to feel stable and secure, they need to feel safe, seen, and soothed. In your relationship with God, he wants to bring you to a place where you feel safe, seen, and soothed. So when you get into sticky situations, do you, number one, know that you can immediately go to him and you feel safe and secure like through change? Like not even if something's bad, but just you're going through, ch there's some change that's happening. Change, change, like God is the same changes, like what's the word? You're going to face change in life. That's an absolute 100%, you know, but God is stable. Can you go to him? How do you go through the changes of life? Do you too avoid the caregiver in time of need? Got very quiet. Do you three exaggerate distress and, and become angry, have resistant responses, hoping that the marked distress response will not be missed? Um, have you ever been around people who, whose life is a drama? Where if there's not a drama happening, gosh darn it, they're going to make one happen. And even things that um, and, I, and I don't want to make fun of this because actually to some people it's a real thing. And again, this is, this is um, forgive me for making light of it, but sometimes people, they grow like that because they've just, they've been so detached and they didn't have, you know, the right parents. But you get around them and everything is, even the things that should not be such a big deal, it's such a big deal for them. And there's never a right moment to talk to them. Like you're always on eggshells with it. You know, it's like, well, this happened and this happened and why can't, why can't it? This never happens at a good time. And, you know, there's just, there's this elevated anxiety. And then number four, the completely detached and shut down to the point of being totally, un even unaware of how your walls 
affect other people. Like you're not even aware that other people perceive you in a certain way. Like you're, you're so socially detached. That's when you grow up in an abusive home and when you have no care and no um, like tenderness attachment. Then literally you go through life and um, you are so unaware of how your how you behave, how you react, how, how it affects other people. Like you leave this trail of devastation and you're just totally oblivious. Um, that's what that is. So the good news, right? Gospel, the good news, is when I first got saved, I, I first gave my life to the Lord in college, but I mean, when I was in high school, but I really came into discipleship when I was in college. And I didn't understand what God was doing with me back then. But in my times with the Lord, he, he role-played with me through the different stages of development. And I had no clue that what he was doing was attachment. He was developing attachment with me. So in my times with him, and this could sound so funny, but it's real. And it brought me to the place that I am. And I'm so, I'm so, I am confident in his love for me and in my security in him. Like, 100% it's confident. I mess up. I'm confident in his growing me back, pulling me back, loving on me, wiping me off, washing me off. So I'm, you know what I'm saying? I am so confident. So, in other words, this works. Show and tell. But, so he would take me, and in my quiet times with him, I, he said to me, I'm going to take you through this season of development, and I'm going to show you who I am to you. And I want you to just see, just, in other words, just allow me to take you through this. And he said, by the way, I'm not in a hurry to grow you up. So I was like, okay. So I closed my eyes, and there I am. I am this tiny, tiny child in my mind's eye. And he is holding me. And he is kissing my feet, rubbing my hair, looking. Do you know that attachment between a mother and a child, when that mother holds that baby up and looks, have you ever, go on YouTube. Oh, my gosh, they have the most beautiful, where the baby, like, does these little gurgles, and the mom does gurgles back, and the baby. And that is the brain of the child, and the mother's brain is responding in ways that are similar to each other. And it causes this, um, I'm not gonna, I don't know all the names, but it causes one hormone that literally reduces anxiety. It brings a bonding between the parent, between the mom and the baby. Now, how about all the Psalms? When I gaze, when I look into you, when I, it's that thing of when I, when I look and I allow, but if you think that God, every time you look, God is angry with you, what are you going to see when you look at him? You're not going to want to open your heart. You're going to think you're angry with me. I can't do this. I, you know, God, I'm so sorry. I, I do that. That's not God. He's like, come. My, the one thing God told me one time when I had screwed up royally, he said to me, my eyes are always kind towards you. Come. My eyes are always kind. When we need to have a heart-to-heart, when we need to adjust some things, my eyes will always be kind. And um, so he took me through this thing. Of, and, but for months and months and months, every time I'd go into his presence, there I was, this baby. And finally I got frustrated. I'm like, ah, I want to grow up. And he, I'm not in a rush to grow you up. And again, didn't realize that he was taking me through this attachment. Then the next stage was me as a toddler. And um, the interesting thing with toddlers is when they're doing that whole attachment thing, the game of hide-and-seek, that is one of the primary games that, that psychologists, child psychologists use to help with child attachment is hide-and-seek because the child learns that what I cannot see will be found when I look for it. Talk about hide-and-seek with God. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the honor of kings to search it out. You know, when God hides stuff, he's not hiding it from us. He's hiding it for us. And even in the searching, when we find things that we're looking for in God, have you heard of dopamine? There's a hormone in your brain. 
It's the hormone that gets released when you're searching for something and then you find it. There's a, there's a hormone that literally gets released. Talk about the addiction of, of, um, of games, technology games. The little ones, they're not, they don't get addicted to the game. They get addicted to the dopamine that gets released in the game. Even social media experts, they develop and design video games. Moms, dads, with your kids, with video games. They design and develop them specifically with sounds and certain lights and everything that your, the brain is being trained to, when, when they hear a sound, now it's going to look for something, and when it finds it, bing, dopamine gets released. Facebook, your phone with a text, bing, you go look for your phone, and there it is. You find it. Dopamine gets released. It's crazy. It's all about attachment. You want to get attached to your phone? I just recently took Facebook off my phone and, and Messenger and all that. My husband was like, we'll see how long this lasts. <laughs> but I'm like, God, I, I hear that ding. And then I want to, it doesn't matter if I'm in conversation. It's so rude. It's so rude. You're having a conversation with somebody and the person, please give me a phone. Sorry, I'm just having a conversation with you. Sorry, sorry. Oh, oh, you know. And then people think it's it's it, they they think it's um, they think it's more kind. Oh, they, they're doing you a favor. They're turning their phone upside down. The screen is not up. You you must be important. My phone is down. Ding. Oh, sorry. Sorry about that. It's rude. When you're with people, put your phone away. Zip up your bag. Express to them, you're valuable to me. This now, live in the moment. You know, if, if you have one person like your kid at school that's trying to call you, put a certain ring on your phone. That if that child is sick at school, because I get that, you know, then that, that it's, it rings a certain way. And when you hear that ring, I'm so sorry, but this is my child, and this only means that there's something wrong at school. By all means, pick that up. But I, I just feel we've lost our idea of, of being present for each other. <sighs> that was free. <laughs> All right. Safe, seen, and soothed. All right. Psalm 91. I would like you to close your eyes, and I'm going to read the living word into your heart the living, active word of God concerning your safety. The one who lives under the protection of the Most High dwells in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust, he himself will deliver you from the hunter's net, from the destructive plague. He will cover you with his feathers, and you will take refuge under his wings. His faithfulness, his faithfulness, not your own, his faithfulness will be a protective shield. You will not fear the terror by night or the arrow that flies by day. The plague that stalks in darkness or the pestilence that ravages at noon. Though a thousand fall at your right hand, the pestilence will not reach you. You will only see it with your eyes. He will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you in all your ways. They will support you with their hands. With your eyes stayed closed, I'm going to move on to, so that was protected, to be safe, to be seen. That God's living, I don't care if you've heard this a million times before, God's living act of word. Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down, when I stand up? You know my thoughts from afar. 
You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it. You have encircled me. You placed your hand on me. This knowledge is amazing. You will lead me. Your right hand will hold me. I am remarkably and wonderfully made. And then to be soothed, the living word says, when I am filled with cares, your comfort brings me joy. It says, as a mother comforts her child, I will comfort you. It says, for your promises are backed by all the honor of your name, El Shaddai. Psalm 138, verse 2, for your promises are backed by all the honor of your name. And then last one, surely I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child rests against its mother is my soul within me. So I am going to, with your eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to think of even just one situation where you can remember, and it doesn't have to be super small, but just in life, where a caretaker or with somebody that should have legitimately met your need. They didn't. They failed. You felt like they failed you and that they didn't meet your need. I want you to picture that person in front of you. When we forgive somebody, we're not saying it's okay. We're saying it was wrong. And we forgive you. It's in your heart. I want you to say, I, I forgive you. I release you from this. You know, hurt people hurt people. And now we give permission to God to come in and meet that need. Every need of ours, he can legitimately meet. Whether it was books for school or something that was not met, every legitimate need he can meet. I'm going to, in the last two minutes we have, I'm going to speak some things into your heart from the mother heart of God. And these things are some stuff that moms should be able to say to their kids on a regular basis. And caretakers and teachers and, and um, sometimes they just don't know. And these are things that really put... Um, that safety and security and that sense of I belong. So the mom's voice says, I love you. I love you. I love you. You are important. You are important to me. This is God. This is the mother heart of God. You are important to me. 
You know, God could have put you in anybody else's family, and yet he chose to put you in mine. Wow, I am just the most blessed mom around. And do you know that if I looked, I went through a room and there were a million babies, there were a million kids, I would pick you. You're my chosen child. You're the one that my heart reaches towards and holds up and says, wow, I get to mother you. In you, I see strength. I see courage. I see the ability to get things done. I see the ability to initiate and complete. Wow, I am so proud. I see how hard you work at things. Sometimes you don't, you don't get the reward or prize. That's okay, because I see it, and my love for you is not determined on your performance. I just love you. Father, I pray right now for that spirit of adoption. It's the umbilical cord between your spirit and your children that never gets broken. And literally, you have told us to be like a child. If we want to enter the kingdom, if we be like children. God, thank you that you allow us to be childlike with you, even with all our responsibility. I'm going to end with this. <clears throat> Keep your eyes closed. They don't know that I go running home when I fall down. They don't know who picks me up when no one is around. I drop my sword and cry for just a while. Because deep inside this armor, 